Hello, welcome to Black Cap Recap, where two bald guys wear black ball caps and dive into the deeper meaning of movies, TV, and media. We're your co-hosts, Sean McCannelly and Aaron Russo. This is a conversation between two friends, and we hope that you enjoyed as much as we do. Welcome back to the Black Cap Recap Podcast. This is our review of the seventh episode of season four of The Handmaid's Tale. This is conducted in two parts uh, because there's so much to cover. We have over an hour and a half of recording, and so we split it up into two pieces. So we hope you enjoy part one of Handmaid's Tale, season four, episode seven. All right. So we start with the, um, which I found, I found this to be surprisingly powerful, was the immediate scene when she steps off the boat. Yeah, where she's interviewed by the, he's in the CIA, right? The, is he CIA or what I is? I think so. FBI. He's no? for sure just with the government, with the American with government, whatever's left of the U.S. government. I think right. he's CIA because he was like he approached Serena when she went to that conference or whatever. Um, kind of like a spy to thing. like kind of handle her, right? So right. he seems like some kind of spycraft guy. Okay. Um, if something of some kind. Yeah. Yeah. So that was very. I thought it was just really powerful that. They showed that moment mm-hmm. where they're like, where she had to answer the questions, and that that was a reminder to us that like mm-hmm. that's where she, that those things are true for her, yeah. um, and and that but that she was still maybe struggling a little bit with her decision, and so Moira had to kind of give her that you got this girl mm-hmm. kind of a thing to get through that, but that that was surprisingly significant to me, I think. I didn't see that coming. I thought it would just be like, oh, you're here. Okay, come on. And it was like, actually, you have to tell us. And, yeah. and from what I know from, of, about things like people seeking asylum or refugees, like, it isn't actually quite that simple. But yeah. for the show and for probably for someone of her high profile, that they're going to expedite the process, I guess. I mean, it struck me that I don't think anyone's ever said, maybe they have. I don't think anyone said, I'm so-and-so, I'm an American and I have all these threats and I like throw myself on the mercy of Canada or like I'm declaring asylum in the country of Canada. Right. Like what American has fled to Canada? No, no. Right. And so it was like, it's surreal in that sense. But then I'm like, well, yeah. this is every day for other people in other parts of the world, yeah. even in our own backyard. Mm-hmm. Like people are showing up at the border to, to declare asylum. Yeah. Um, been, been through things she might've been through very similar bombings, all kinds of torture and agony mm-hmm. and we should all be a little bit compassionate maybe in that moment and like the system will sort itself out but like i don't think that the, a border confrontation isn't the time to sort that out you know like right. it be sorted out in the process perhaps um which is it's just a reminder it's like these it, it's like why did it strike me when it's june in american um but it doesn't strike me in the same way when it's not like my immediate kind of neighbor kind of person when it's like mm-hmm. people over there, people far away from me. Mm-hmm. And it's like, Oh, they're, why are they walking 4,000 miles up, up dangerous territory and through drug cartel land to come here and this and that. And it's like, you kind of, you have that almost, uh, it's not active xenophobia, but you have like the, like, um, xeno apathy as it were. <laughs> like you're just like not, it's not, not actively it's- trying to be, uh, empathetic in the, in that situation. Um, and, but it, it, empathy demands that, right? We should be more thoughtful of that. And it's kind of interesting and subversive that they would kind of get us to feel that way, 
but they have to do it through using A, an American, and B, a character we care about to kind of like think for a second mm. about the play of people. Right. <laughs> they kind of hidden that at the last because episode. Because we're, we're not under any illusions about right. her need for asylum. Yeah, and like all the people in Chicago that were, you know, getting bombed and getting, you know, like kids are starving and this and that. Like those are Americans probably, you know, like they were just stuck in Chicago during a mm-hmm. war and there's, it's a war zone and it's just like, mm-hmm. it just hits you differently when it's what could be your neighbors or could be yourself. Right. Versus when it happens across the world, which you kind of talked about people last time. People who look like you, people who talk yeah. like you, people who who have a backstory that you can relate to more, much more immediately. But we see not just with her, but like, and we see when they get to the hotel and stuff that there's like a process, like a system. They have like, this is where we take all our kind of high profile asylees or high profile refugees or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like the, the government of Canada and the U.S. are are used to kind of doing this kind of thing and have a system for it um, because it probably happens a lot. Like lots of people flee Gilead and perhaps other areas. And, you know, so we get the, the, what I thought was a very well done, you know, the awkwardness of coming to this big fancy hotel and, and the, the weirdness of, you know, I think they did a really good job of just, really making you feel how this would feel to June. Mm-hmm. Like it would feel weird, surreal, right? They like, like they made, they made something like walking into that luxury hotel, which would just be absolutely normal to us to see into this weird experience. Like we saw it through her eyes yeah, and we really felt what that would feel like for her. Um, it felt like um like I just watched the Hunger Games trilogy again or the four, the four movies and I kind of got a vibe of like it's it's like when Katniss goes to the Capitol and sees like how they live or whatever and it kind of had that little slave vibe I don't know if they were going for that intentionally but compared to like the bleakness of Gilead and like how mm-hmm. stripped back everything mm-hmm. is there this is more gaudy I guess um, and she just must be like yeah she's spitting like what she's I didn't realize until if for some reason it didn't quite dawned on me that they mentioned in the show that she'd been gone for seven years so that's a really long time like it's not like she was there for a year Mm -hmm. two years seven years and then you come back especially after what she's been through and where she was coming from yeah that's not going to be a just like a oh man great this is so cool look at this beautiful hotel right was season one hers her start like, had she been there for some undetermined amount of time before we saw season one? Or was that, like, right in her, like, induction into her first... Like, was that pretty recent after she got separated and gets captured or whatever? Um, but I guess we don't know how long she was uh, within Gilead, but not under the control of Gilead. Like, if she's just from Boston and then Gilead takes over, like, how much time? We don't know. Um, well, no, they I mean, they, they, they actually show her in her street clothes being marched in and... Right, indoctrinated into the handmaid's crew, but I don't know if you're saying. Are you saying like was there a time before that happened? That I she mean, was they've there? been separ- like, yeah. I guess was there any? I'm trying to piece together the seven years. Like, was it was there time jumps in between any of these seasons that might account for the seven years? I don't. Um, or have I didn't, kind of seen all seven years of it, and it's just like I didn't out. feel like we'd seen seven years. Yeah. But that's what they said this in this episode, because she'd been gone for seven years. Yeah. Huh. Maybe so. Um, 
I think that the obviously the the per- first big stake in the ground for me here was the scene where um, where June wakes up from her seventeen hour sleep mm-hmm. and Luke and her talking um, and he comes to sit on the bed and they I think for the first time have that emotional connection mm-hmm. centered around their daughter um, and I just. I was just so impressed with how that whole that the performances of both yep. of the characters was um, amazing. It was they, like an Emmy they, reel they, moment. Like that's what you could yeah. see for an Emmy. Um, oh, absolutely! You know for I mean? him, for writing, especially. for acting, for yeah, he was just yeah amazing. And I think it was the first time of a few, quite a few times in this episode where. I mean, they, it's like, it's like you're getting, that was the first moment that was like the whole, you know, four seasons in the making. Yeah. Like from the opening sequence of them being separated from each other and then her being separated from her daughter to this moment where they're reunited with each other and can face to face grieve Mm -hmm. the moment that they lost their daughter um, and that I think that also put to rest um, June's feelings of failure about not coming home with Hannah. And they both had that feeling that they had failed because he hadn't gotten her or Hannah out. She hadn't gotten Hannah out, so on. But man, the, the, the emotions that came out in that episode, in that scene, you know, and, and it drove home like, you know, like, these people have lost their kid. Mm-hmm. They, their daughter has been basically kidnapped and ripped out of their lives, and they, they've lost her. And that, it brought that right back to the surface for me, I think. And it was a really effective way to, to, sh- to show, like, these people have been through hell, and mm-hmm. they're in pain. And that pain is very real. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just can't say enough about the performances and the just the that that's the first of many scenes in this episode where it's like they just they nailed they nailed the, what they were trying to do um, and it made you realize that they've been doing a lot of this stuff right for a long time to get that payoff you know like yeah. that payoff only works if if we f- if we can relate to to it through the story that's been told mm-hmm. so far but um, then so she's telling that story which is accurate and I I had forgotten about that first the first time like for, for a second because I had forgotten that she had already seen her daughter and I thought she was like basically lying to him slash to herself like this is how I wish that encounter would have gone down in the in the torture house or whatever so she left that more recent encounter off off the narrative with right. right on purpose and we flat if they flash to that where she's like I'm leaving that in, part in off the glass now. cage with yeah but I had forgotten like way back she had been you know, right, they had that time. secret yeah. meeting and that's, at the house. She's yeah. what's she is literally telling that word for word or truth. She's truthfully relaying that story to him, right? But leaving off for now, which is probably a foreshadowing of some kind. Like, um, like I don't know if it's going to change once he finds out if he finds out that more recent encounter and like how she is now compared to like that's his impression of how she is at this moment. When, right. While she's telling the story, she's still like fighting and strong and still their daughter and still you know knows them and loves them, but like. June knows better than that from that more recent encounter. And that's a point of tension that's going to 
come back, I think. Um, but that was, yeah, that was a early highlight of the episode for sure. I thought it was, yeah, it was, it was the, and it was the, it was the entry, it was kind of the gateway or the entry point for June to then go on the journey she's going to go on in this episode of mm-hmm. like seeing all these people and having all these reunions and having all these, and it kind of opened the emotional gate for her to, you know, kind of like the, she had her 17 hour nap and then she wakes up and it's like, okay, now we can start yeah. the story, the post Gilead like story. A second resurrection because she almost died before <clears throat> going into that first episode of the season. Mm-hmm. And that she had like her long slumber here resets things again. Um, so they're debriefing, I think, after that, they're debriefing with the guy, just her and him. They're debriefing a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, um, but then Luke, I think Luke interrupts to go see the daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, but he mentions, you know, like memories can get clouded if we don't debrief right away, which I don't know if that was just filler do- filler talk or if that's like a, like, can we trust what we're seeing anymore? Or like, can we trust, like, was that a hint? I of think like, we need to be careful now that it's, the story is going to get convoluted or the, the recollection is going to get muddy, muddled and that's going to have consequences where if she had stayed and debriefed, things might go route A, but because she's getting sidetracked with all this other reunion stuff, like might her memories get warped and then that will lead down path B as far as the government's response to things. Right. Right. Especially once she learns Serena is there in town and pregnant. Right. So like once that is revealed, that totally changes. Like that's definitely going to cloud your (laughs) recollection of things I would think. Right. Well, I think, well, to, to answer that, I, I think that that doesn't play out. I think it actually magnifies because by the time she gets to the, the confrontation with Serena, she's pretty darn focused on what she went through. True, yeah. But I do think that my take on that scene was, and, be, and because of other scenes in the show, in this episode, um, is that I think that's a, it's pointing out that like that, I think his name is Mark. Um, that's his priority. His yeah. priority is intelligence. Yeah. How much intelligence? And there's a phrase where Moira says to her boy, her girlfriend, um, she she refers to June as an intelligence asset. Yep. And I think that Mark, based on his interactions with June and with Serena, I think he's primarily concerned with doing his job, which is to be a good CIA agent. Yeah. And so he's a he little bit to, insensitive. He needs to deliver a W. He doesn't like yeah. we we. I I even mentioned to my wife when we were watching this, that just out loud. I was like, "We may be like, dude, like, don't you get it?" And it's like, no, he doesn't. He, he, he's unaware of everything that's happened with both Serena and right. and Serena's a smooth talker, and so is Commander Waterford. Like, they are. Oh yeah. You know, like if you're if you're just coming at it, which is part of the bias of like if you're any kind of investigator, you're like, well, this like quote unquote high profile family over here, and then the like the lowly handmaid over here, and Rita. Like you're kind of like you kind of size people up and who's more credible or whatever. And especially right. if they're it, like June says, she's a sociopath and <laughs> you can't trust a word she says. Right. Um, he might've been a little more like, and, and yeah, he's trying to play them first. He was trying to play them up all off each other and so on. Like he's playing the game. He's doing his job mm-hmm. and he doesn't know the whole story, but now, now he's learning it. And that'll be interesting. To I see think, that I think that he's, right. he's, He's an interesting subject. We can go. We'll we can revisit that because there's other scenes mm-hmm. where he's significant. I think, but I do think that he's 
you know, for, for the, from his perspective, being an employee of the United States government, this is like the, the biggest, you know, like he's like, yeah. he caught the big fish yes. like, <laughs> and he has a chance to, you know, score a big win against the regime that mm-hmm. took over his country basically. Mm-hmm. So, um, he does come across as a slightly insensitive in the scene, but I think that he's, I don't know that he's, I don't view him as a bad guy. No. Just filling his role. He's not a total ally, but he's not. Like, yeah. It, when push comes to shove, to shove his mission is going to override perhaps. Yeah. He's not, he's not there to help June recover from the trauma. Right. He's there to get as much information yeah. from her as he can. So we get the, the first home reunion, um, where she goes to the house and um, we have another big moment, Not didn't play out big in the way they showed it necessarily, but her first time seeing Emily and Nicole. And then Rita. And, and the last time they saw, she saw Emily and Nicole, she was putting them in the back of that truck. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so then I thought that was really cool that they then, the first time she sees them together, just like she left them mm-hmm. and that kind of caught me off guard and I was like, oh my gosh, this is the first time she's seen yeah. Emily. And that hit me even more maybe than her seeing Nicole. Mm-hmm. Um, but you had that moment and, and the moment with Rita, which was just, you know, back to back. I found the Rita one to be the most emotional for some reason for me. Yeah. Um, I feel like they had the most like, just like, like Emily and her got, went through the same experience, a lot of similar experiences as handmaids, but Rita was like, you know, her housemate and, and yeah. And like integral to the last part yeah. of the mission and everything. Yeah. yeah. And I think that that was also just every time they had one of these scenes, just, I mean, everybody is so good <laughs> at acting these scenes out. Mm-hmm. There's never a moment where I'm thinking I'm not seeing real emotions yeah, and real tears and real, Wow. Yeah. Like, you know, you feel it. You can feel it. And that's what I think this episode reminded me of is that, that this, I mean, that's, that's how you know they're doing it right. When yeah. you feel the emotions is when they're on the screen, it's like, psh, wow. And, and that whole thing. And, and, and then her, you know, clinging to Nicole that eve, that whole evening. Um, did you have any thoughts on her, on, on, on what she said to Nicole? When she was holding her in the rocking chair, she said something about Nick. Yeah, your 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 dad, your first, your, dad your first daddy loves you very much. Um, and I had to. Rem- I was like, does Nick knows about Nicole? Yeah, yeah, he does. Like yeah. I couldn't remember for a second if he knew about her or not. It's it was interesting. It's I think that that's something that they don't pick up on too much in this episode, but I do think we're going in the direction of Nicole and Nick and that whole situation becoming a problem. Yeah. Um, right now they're still not dealing that hasn't even they haven't even mentioned like n- nobody's mentioned that Nicole is not Luke's baby or that yeah. Nick is there's, there's this Nick and this whole other history and I have some thoughts on that whole thing maybe we can talk about that at the end but so but, I think for the for the next thing that happens is the grocery store trip right well we do it, we get that interjection which I thought was worth mentioning of Serena's prayer that's true. She's, yes. she's praying in the little chapel and yeah. then the CIA Mark guy comes in. Um, and I think that, I do think that um, the scenes with Serena in this, in this episode, which even though they're not long, they're pretty short, I think are very important because I think that they are really 
going in the direction of this being a really twisted, bad person. And the, the, the prayer that she's praying where she's basically saying like, you know, it's, it's a, the, the, what, what struck me about that scene that I thought was so interesting was just like the, the window it gave you into like the, the thinking of a religious person. You know, like she's bargaining. Yeah. There's this bargaining mentality. And yeah, it's when like, I was watching that, I was like, you know, it's a cross and it's a chapel, but it's like, this is just paganism straight up. Like she's just trying to like appease the gods. Through, yeah. Like, whatever I could do. Like, like this is not like real Christianity, which is like you trust in the sacrifice made for you. And it's not like what you can do. Right. No, she's, she's very like this whole Gilead religion is just a, is it's just paganism with like, Christian. She um, is dragons. begging. She is begging the gods or God not to punish her yeah. by taking her baby away. Mm-hmm. And she's asking for that to be shown how to live right so that she can earn that and yes. it was very interesting um but then the this lit at the end of that scene when that mark guy comes in and talks to her he again kind of plays his hand like he's then his take is hey you know so this whole june situation can make things really crappy for you and you might want to think about realign aligning yourself with your husband which doesn't help june Right, like, yeah, I was trying it, to figure out what his angle was. His ang- I think his angle, his angle is that, um, I think he. So some people, I saw some people theorizing that the angle is is that he's got a thing for Serena, maybe. Um, Why would he drive her closer but, to her husband then, if he did? Well, because he doesn't want her to lose her child. Because his point is. Hey, you know, you got to do whatever it takes to make this better for you because if you don't, you're not going to be able to raise your kid. Yeah, that's he did make that point. Yeah. And he he's playing off of that. Um, but he's or even just like he's a student. He he heard her prayer and he's like, "Okay, well the most important thing to her is like preserving this baby." So yeah. he's like, "Whatever I can offer to help to appear that I'm helping her right. in that goal works for me, works for her. We're all on the same team and like right. we're both getting what we want." And let's just milk that out as long as we can. So I think cynically, he's just like a cynical, like whatever I you need to dangle, he, whatever carrot, that's how these guys operate. I know? think he would rather see, and maybe this is because he has feelings for, for Serena, or maybe it's because really ultimately the commander is the, the, the prize. Yeah. Bringing him down yes. is the prize, not bringing Serena down. Right. Bringing Serena down isn't the prize. And mm-hmm. he actually may not even really care about that. They want to bring down the commander, the one of the leaders of Gilead. Yep. And he'll do whatever it takes to do that, obviously. Um, so I thought that was an interesting scene. Even so you can go short. kind of good cop with her a little bit more than he was it, by playing off her desire to, you know, he's like, I'm giving you the path to raising your kid. Right. Um, right now it goes through realigning with your husband, but ultimately temporary. maybe maybe i don't really care about you raising your yeah, kid <laughs> but like this this gets me where i need to go with you right so like we're going this way together right now um and he's playing he's still i mean good cop get bad cop that routine like both cops are on the same team there you know like they appear to be you know what i mean like good right. cop is still trying to get in the same place the bad cop's trying to get right and don't ever forget that if you're ever caught in the uh, good cop bad cop thing yourself <laughs> <laughs> they're not your friend <laughs> ever <laughs> Their job is to get a confession. Yes, yes. 
Um, so when they're at home that morning um, and, you know, June wakes up and they're like, hey, good morning. I made you pancakes. You know, And I think that that's the first time and then coupled with the situation with the grocery store where you realize that everybody's not everybody's really kind of kind of pretending like nothing really happened. It's like. June's home now, you know, and like, you know, now we just live life. And there's a minimizing of the fact that there's a bunch of shit under the surface here. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of questions. There's a lot of things like, like when, it, when June says, they say, well, we were just thinking maybe you could stay home, you know, and, uh, we'll go to the grocery store. And she's like, no, I'm, I'm fine. I want to go. And she, I do think that that was, I think that, June and Luke both are minimizing the reality of the situation. Yeah, which and they had mentioned that counselor, remember mental health counselor, which we and never like, see anybody. That go would to. be a good time, like that. Like it would be if they had like a home based counselor for twenty four hours to like help them navigate those kind of choices. Or like the counselor can be like, "Well, it's probably not." Like, yes, Luke's right. You need to stay home on, right. the, on this on this occasion. Or if you do go, don't leave her alone. Like. That kind of guidance would have been there because when, when he left her alone, I was like, "Oh, she's gonna have a she's gonna have an episode." Like, right? You, never mean, leave, you don't leave someone like that alone. No, there's, there's, you don't know what's gonna trigger them or whatever. Well, but yeah. you don't. But you. But she, June, says, you know, like, "Oh, I'll be fine." Yeah, you can, you, you almost know? can't trust that. But then that's weird because it's like then don't treat me like a kid and this and that. But it's like a professional, an objective professional could help you navigate that versus and like an objective professional would look at that and say, "Okay, well, we're not we're not there yet. Like, you haven't." Yeah, it says, so this I would have just, liked to have seen that counseling that they mentioned because when they say the counselor, I was like, oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Like this is if ever there was a situation for professional counseling, and it's right now, and it's the seventy-two hours or these three right. months of reintroduction. But like, yeah, we never saw them, and uh, there was a couple times, and that would have been really handy. Uh, that first night navigation. I think. Like, I think that that is probably coming down the line. I would yeah. guess at some point. Um, I mean, part of it's like they just like I wouldn't know how to be like. Like if, yeah, if someone came back in my life all of a sudden that was traumatically reunited with me, I'd be like, like, do we do small talk? Do we, do we go right to the weighty stuff? Like, what do we, how do we right. be now? And well, I think just like default to normal, the default to routine. I think that's, just, that's what's, I mean? what's happening right now is that nobody knows how to go there. Yeah. And so they're all acting kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, they're just doing life. Yeah. And I think that came out even in the grocery store as well. Like with the interaction with changing the diaper when there was like this, like very like jovial kind of like everyday life scenario. Like, Oh, I got a diaper for you. You change yeah. it. I'll go do this. You know, it was like Moira and Luke were the married couple. And June was just like the third wheel a little bit of like the friend oh, visiting from out of town. She's completely emotionally removed. Like she yeah. doesn't even feel a connection to what they're doing. Like yeah. she's, and she wouldn't have known like, Oh, you know, that, specific cry is the we're 10 minutes away from meltdown cry and like all the things that Moira knew and Luke knew June is like having to learn because she's never well and she's yeah. and she's I think she's she's acutely aware of that like mm-hmm. that she's an outsider in her own quote unquote family um but we do get the we get the I thought it was really odd like where she was like oh I'll be fine you go you go I'll just stand here and look at the bags of potato chips and I was like why but from that point like that whole panic attack was done 
so well. And yeah. Like, I mean, like, I, saw, I saw it coming, but it was like, yeah, I, it's, it's earned. Like this, this would be a thing that would happen. To, Cause oh, I was like, oh, yeah, so many, so many moments, just things happened in that Gilead grocery store. Like that's what they organized all of the Marthas and all the handmaids who had all uh-huh. their like open, they both opened the milk crate together and like talk through the milk crate and talk across the aisle. And there's like, like one handmaid went nuts and like shot somebody or whatever. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Or well, got shot. Yeah. yeah. Um, so like, yeah, like that's a very triggering scenario, mm-hmm. which I would have thought she would think that, but I don't know. Um, and then, yeah, she saw the two like Muslim ladies walking by with the red. With the hijabs, hijabs, and and she and thought that, they were handmaids yeah. or triggered that. Yeah, that reflective memory. I, I I like that they they gave you that moment where she's by herself, so that they could you could really f- experience yeah. what she was experiencing. And I love that. Like, there's a few times in this in the episode where, like, when she does have the flashbacks, they're very like jarring. Yeah, they're not drawn out. It's like, bah! it's like which a, is probably like a, how it is in real life. I would yeah. imagine like it's the most intense parts of memories, just like the flashes of trauma like there's like serena's like on her like screaming at her and like all these like and lydia's doing something and it's just like the most acute moments it's like these little like like shot lightning bolt shots yeah Yeah. and i thought that was like and and so you you feel it the way she feels it where you're like oh that's an ugly Mm -hmm. oh and you just feel like you kind of feel like everything's pressing in and you're feeling like you're you're right there with her and you're like pulses racing and you're like i can't breathe like yeah you're right there with her they did a they did a good you can botch panic attacks so you can botch flashbacks in in media yeah. and the show pulled it off they've pulled yeah. it off and, and it's Elizabeth well Moss done. just yeah again just like perfectly portrays that feeling mm-hmm. you know the way she just kind of needs to sit down you know but she's acutely aware she's in public yeah. and she's trying to compose herself but she's not fully in control of yeah. how she's feeling she plays that so perfectly like I was thinking, wow. I was like, if I saw someone behaving like that in a, in a grocery store, like, I would hope that I would know what to do. Like, would it help to approach them or would they think I'm a threat? Or like, like if someone's like yeah. appearing to have a mental health crisis, like, what is the best thing to do in a public place? Is it to like, just make sure they don't hurt themselves until they kind of get through it? Or you like, try to get in there? I, like, I don't, we're not like trained as a society, like how to deal with that kind of I thing. think she she was it was subtle enough that I think she probably would have escaped notice or maybe people would have just noticed briefly yeah. that she was you know I mean if I was observing that from the outside I would have just thought maybe she was feeling sick and I probably would have said hey are, are you okay mm-hmm. is everything all right um but obviously no one would have any idea what she was actually right. going through in that moment but we all like see people like like people walking down the street like having a conversation with Somebody who with they the, think is there, with nobody, and nobody, and they're just, and you're like, everyone just kind of like avoids, and like, we just don't know how to deal with, like, people <laughs> having issues, people who are not in the and right. And it's frame just of easier to be like, I don't see you, I you know, pretend you don't exist, and like, please don't come over here, please don't talk to me. Well, um, the, it does seem so like, like she, basically, she is, she is portrayed as being very isolated mm-hmm. and not no one does approach her and she is experiencing that alone. Yeah. Like, I mean, it cuts to an ad and then it goes, or at least I did it on Hulu, right? It, cut, it cuts the scene and then it picks back up in the next morning. So I'm like, well, like I kind of want to know <laughs> how did that resolve? Like, did Luke find her? Did she find her way to Luke? I did think she, 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 to Luke she about just it? pulled herself together. And yeah. Like he's just none the wiser, I guess. I don't think at this point she, at this point, like I said, I think she's bottling a lot of things up. Yeah. That apart from the moment where they talked about Hannah they're not talking about, like, yeah. 
she, Luke effectively has no idea what right. she's been And then through. even like, I guess later that night is, is when they have the four of them hanging out or five, four or five of them. And they have the dinner. And they have their kind of Gilead reunion mm-hmm. and they, they talk about that. But you know, that's, that's where they can get into that. But Luke wasn't part of that. Like Luke wasn't in on that conversation. No. So he's, he, again, he's not aware right. that he doesn't really kind of belong in that circle. Um, I th- I thought what did you think of that little girls night moment it was it was interesting and it was you know I I empathized and felt for all of them and they were kind of having their well deserved gripe session um, and just June's face when she learned that Serena, that Serena was, pregnant. was pregnant her face was like you mean after all of that they were fertile like she literally had to endure all of that because the only reason she had all that problem right. was because she's the fertile one and the other ones weren't. And so because of the infertility, she had to be subjected to all of that. And now she's like, and now you're telling me she's fertile after all that? Like I her think, face. I like think she was June like murdering was, her in her mind right then. In that you know? moment, she was pissed because she, because in her mind, it's like, she did all that shit to me and she gets a baby that she always wanted mm-hmm. and that pissed her off. Yeah. Like that pissed her off. Like, and not in a healthy way. It was more like, it was like, it was like a, you know, it was like watching your worst enemy get first place in a spelling bee, you know, and you're like, mm-hmm. like, I think she really, it was I. I don't think that that was supposed to be a healthy. <laughs> no, I think like, like she snapped in that moment. Like she, she, she was already on that kind of blood, blood in her eyes, warpath mode, yeah. and then kind of got de- derailed with the bombing and this. But she's like back on mission at this point. From that, she's yeah. like, oh, we'll talk about that at doing. the end of the episode yeah. because I think there's some interesting things going on there. But she definitely. The look on her face is like way worse than anybody else's around the room. And yeah. everybody else is kind of like, I think they notice and they're like trying to like diffuse the situation. Yeah. So like but Rita she's is like, like just moving Oof. on. Emily is trying to, you get a little bit of a hint of how she's trying to adapt. Like she's like saying like, it's been a long road and we're like, I'm still trying to work my way kind of into the bedroom because right. of what she's been through. Right. And then like you see that Moira and Una have like a resolution to their issues sort of. Um, and it ends on a good note of like, let's talk, like, let's, let's have that fire. Let's, let's like, let's move on from this. And, right. and she's, Una's not fired as it were. She said she's got a way to work or whatever. So like, but there was a fallout from this, but it, she, I think she mentioned like, basically if it was any other refugee, it would have been much worse, but it, you're saved by the fact that you delivered the fight. Like we delivered this asset, asset yeah. um, that, that keeps us going, but with like band, just like she thought they're banned from kind of right. doing anything outside of Canada at this point. Um, but so you kind of see each person have their own, you kind of check in on each person where they're at in, the, in their journey of reintegrating and either at different points of it or like, or different re- representations of how people deal with these kind of transitions. Like Rita's just kind of keeping her head down and doing whatever and seems to have moved on. Like she kind of remember she had her moment with like her the sushi diet, and diet Coke. She's yeah. just like, you know what? That. Like I'm back like this. I'm good. I'm happy. Like I'm out of Gilead. That I have just simple things and I'm good. And she got, she got to like one up Serena in the legal proceedings. And she's kind of like, 
I'm good. Like I don't I don't have the blood lust. I don't have the revengeance as much. Like she's mad. She's she's expressed her anger, right. but she's like past it almost. And yeah. June is definitely not past it yet. Yeah. <laughs> and then you know Moira is, Moira and Emily are kind of more the relational side of the fallout, and they're not on they're not on the war path either. Well, they've also had time, and they've had time. They've had time. So I, that's just to converge all that together was just really interesting. Uh, and I was like, I was happy to see that. Yeah. Then you're like, it just reactivates, you know, the Winter Soldier uh, version of June. Of June. And she's, yeah. she is uh, and that's, Hulk mode activated, you know. That leads right in to the scene in the kitchen, right? That same night. Yeah. Where we have the sequence between, that goes from the inability to be intimate with Luke to the confrontation with Serena to sex with Luke. Yeah. And so, yeah, there was like awkward kid. There was an awkward attempt at a kiss yeah, or whatever. And like, it's just, it doesn't, like it's just awkward. Like the first time any of them meets, you either kissed anyone ever, which I mean, he wasn't like, he, I don't think he went for it. She went for it. Right. Um, I don't recall. I think she started it or she's, she like they, went in for the kiss and he was kind of like, Oh, like we're doing this. And I, I, think I wasn't it, sure like if you're ready for this or what we're, what we're doing. And he's like, but I thought last time I heard you had, a lover and had a child and I don't even and, know where we stand. And all of you know? that awkwardness <laughs> is played so Yeah, I'm just perfectly. Yeah. Like it feels exactly the way yeah. they're portraying it. You're like, oh my God, like how do they re-engage? Like, yeah. I, again, I mental health counselor or a relationship counselor would have helped Dr. Phil would have helped them navigate this. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I think that, I think that it's, it's, it's just, I mean, the, the performances and everything just, and the, the, the progression from that moment. So you feel mm-hmm. how fully debilitated June is when it comes to intimacy and that J- Luke is really not sure how to respond. Mm-hmm. Um, part of him wants that, but part of him is like not sure if it's okay. And he's like yeah. ready for her to stop at any moment and all of that just so beautifully portrayed. That concludes part one of episode seven, season four of The Handmaid's Tale. Tune in next time for the conclusion of episode seven.